with us today, we also have with us folks from the Central Texas Children's Home, and we are so glad that they're here. This congregation has had a long relationship with that home, and we're glad that, that today there's going to be a, a big event for them, and so glad for many of you that participate in that. And glad also that many of you are back for the, from the summer, that you've been gone for a while. You're going to have to stay put for a little bit because of school. We're glad you're back, and we hope you stay for a while. So, and I know others are taking kids off to college and having their last trips of the summer as well, but glad you're here. This morning, we're continuing to talk about King Jesus, that he is to be king of our lives. And if you are a member here, or if you consider yourself a Christian, surely you want Jesus to be the king of your life. But yet, sometimes it's more what we wish for, or it's more what we say, than really what we do, and it's not really who he is, but who he's supposed to be. Well, today we continue on, as we have been for the last few weeks, we'll eventually get done with the Sermon on the Mount, but Matthew chapters 6 through 8 are so important, they are so compact with so much information there, and that great sermon that Jesus gave that tells so much about what he wants life to be like in the kingdom. Not that we always get there, we all fail and we all need to do better than what we've done, but it is what it is to be, the standard of what life is like in Christ. When you say, Jesus is Lord, that he's the one I follow, that I'm going to be a part of his church, I'm going to be a part of him, I'm going to be in the place where he reigns, in his kingdom, this is what it's supposed to look like. So today we are in chapter 6 and we're, we're in verses 25 through 30 that explains some really practical things. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, which is a really funny thing to say just before we go to lunch, right? But he says, don't worry about your life, about what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is it not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't store, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more, much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all of his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and is tomorrow thrown into the fire... Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Wow, a powerful passage about don't worry that God's got this. God cares about nature. He cares about animals. He cares about the fields. All those things are important to him. They are his creation. But he also says to us, don't worry. I've, God's got it. It's, it's okay. Everything's going to be fine. But treasures often, almost always, come with concern, right? <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about? You have a treasure, now I want you to have a concern. Some of you in this room, you remember, maybe you're in the process right now, of buying your first house, and how exciting that was. You had saved up the money, you found out how much the down payment was, and I mean, you got right to the penny, and you put, gave all that money to the bank, and you now have this house. And you're so excited. And, and you move in and everything's great. And then you live there for six months or a year. And I don't know, you see a little crack by the window. And you, you don't know what that is. So you call somebody to come out. Maybe they can 
you know, mud and tape it and fix it really quickly. And they come out and they look at your house and they say, well, sir or ma'am, they say, you know, well, your house has settled. And you say, well, yes, we are settling into our house. We really love it. Yeah, that's right. They said, no, you don't understand. Your house is settling. Your house is like settling into what? Into the ground is what your house is doing. And we can fix that for you. And you say, how much will that cost? And they say, how much do you have? And so, it all at once, you can't believe it. You have this concern that you have never had before, and now it's huge, right? Or maybe you move into a house and it has central air, and maybe you have this, you finally get two air conditioner units, and one goes out, and what do we do? Maybe we just won't fix it, and then the other one goes out, right? All at once you have concerns that you never had before. You get your dream car or your dream truck or whatever it is. Your friend invites you over for a cookout to eat T-bones and you can't wait. And on your way over, you get T-boned. Yeah. Concerns that you didn't have before you had treasures. Well, that's life, isn't it? Treasures bring concerns and we all deal with them I have this note written in my Bible so I know I didn't say it but someone did that most of the time we don't worry about losing life that sometimes if we're sick or someone is sick or maybe maybe we're in an accident then we worry about losing life but for the majority of time we're not worried about losing life instead we often worry about losing our way of life right that's what we're worried about. Oh no, how about if I have to downsize? How about if I have to drive a different car? How about if I don't have a car at all? How about, how about, and we just get overwhelmed sometimes in life. What's interesting in this passage of scripture that Jesus uses, while we can talk about worry in a lot of different ways, it seems like the specific context here is about material things, right? It's what he's talking about. In Luke, he says it's life's worries, life's worries, pleasures, and riches are what take us away from God. For the most part, those things are all kind of wound up together. But he, he says these things, these things cause us issues. And as I was trying to think about how to illustrate this this week, it, it hit me that worry is kind of like a vacuum cleaner. Now, you know, I think kind of in a different way sometimes, but worry is kind of like a vacuum cleaner. Let me illustrate this for you because I just happen to have a vacuum cleaner over here. And this is a fancy vacuum cleaner. I'm going to turn it on in a minute. This is a fancy one. This, all, this little tube comes out. And this is your brain, okay? You remember those things? This is your brain, this is your drugs. No, this is your brain, right? And this is worry. And this is what happens to us when the worry kicks in and we give into it. There you go. Sucked in, right? You know what I'm talking about? Everything is just fine and now all at once in one moment, you're sucked in. And now what the day was supposed to be, you can't even think straight anymore because you're so worried about whatever it was that was going on. I don't ever turn off my phone at night, or if I do, it's extremely rare because of having kids that don't live with us, and then, you know, my job's kind of like I'm on call, right? And so I don't. So last night, or, or Friday, I noticed our neighbors across the street, I don't know well, but I have their numbers on my phone, noticed they were out of town, but they had some big boxes on their, on their porch from Amazon, I assume, 
And then yesterday, I noticed they were there again. I'm not always looking out the window like that old show with Mrs. Kravitz. I'm not doing that. But I noticed that they had these boxes, big boxes. And so last night, about probably 6 o'clock, I'd text them, just say, hey, I noticed they're there. I'm not trying to be nosy. Would, you know, if you would like me to put those at the back of your house, I'd be happy to do that if you're out of town. And they don't write back. Matter of fact, we go to bed and they haven't written back. And I say to Barbara, I'm kind of surprised they didn't at least write back and say something. Well, they didn't. Until about 1 o'clock this morning. <laughs> hey, we're out of town and yes, we don't have any idea what those boxes are, but please put them around the back of the house. I heard the text. For the rest of the night, I worried about the boxes on their porch. <laughs> Why didn't I get out of bed and go over there and do something? Because it's 1 o'clock in the morning, all right? All night long, I dream about those boxes. People are stealing the boxes. You know, they're getting crushed by meteorites. I mean, all kinds of things. But it just overwhelmed my mind. Doesn't worry do that sometimes. It overwhelms our mind and we're like get stuck in something that like we can't get out of. It's like a vacuum cleaner that sucks us in. And what often happens with worry is that it creates doubt, doesn't it? We start wondering, and our mind goes from here to here to here to here. Oh, so so and so is out. Oh, well, if they're out, our child is out. Well, if our child's out, I hope they wore their seatbelt. Well, if they didn't wear their seatbelt, then that must mean that maybe they were in a wreck. Oh, no. And we go from one thing to another, and they were still sitting on the couch next to us. But our minds go to crazy places sometimes. And when it comes to faith, sometimes we do the same thing. And we start worrying. And then when worry creates doubt. And then doubt can snuff out faith. Where now we have no faith because we have been paralyzed by worry. And often our thoughts are completely unfounded. And now we're in a place that we never intended to be and we're not even thinking straight anymore because worry has done that to us. And Jesus is saying, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry. I'm going to take care of these things. Don't worry about all of that. We remember that we are in the kingdom. Not just any kingdom, we are in the kingdom of God. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, if, you've been, if you believe in Christ, been baptized in him, you are in his kingdom. We don't have any reason to worry. If we have kingdom goals, well, we don't need to worry because we're wanting what God wants. And even if the worst thing we can imagine on the face of the earth happened to us, that we died, then we would go off to be with God forever. And that would be part of that kingdom goal, to be with God forever, right? So everything would be okay. When my goals are that, then, then everything's fine. But that's not always the way it works. It's not the way most of us work. And, and, and so that's what happens to us. But then the passage goes on in Matthew 6, verses 31 through 33. Incidentally, verse 33 is one that if you are a church-going person, you've heard this one and sung it a lot if you grew up in a youth group, uh, at least back in the, in the 80s. So it says, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now here's what he says. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Now the sentence that deserves the biggest amen in the Bible 
Each day has enough trouble of its own. Is that not true? Every single day. I don't know what tomorrow's troubles are going to be, and I don't even want to guess, because then I would worry about what I'm going to hear tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. But yeah, see what he says. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What things? What he's just talked about. Food, clothing, and shelter. All these things will be added to you. If you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now let me say this. If you are not seeking first the kingdom of God, and you are not seeking first God's righteousness, you have no promise, even of food, clothing, and shelter. But if you are, there is a promise of basic needs there. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom. Seek first the righteousness. Seek first these things and everything is going to be okay. All right. Now we get to the moment of truth. We'll have an acapella drum roll right here. The moment of truth. I still worry. I still worry. Now, sometimes I worry about physical things. Sometimes I worry about economic things. You know, here, here on, the, on the radio when I'm driving, I'll hear and they'll say, the Dow, the Dow today went up 200 points. It went down 200 points. Well, it went down 200 yesterday and the day before and the day before. You know what I'm talking about? And that all at once starts making me worry. Not like I have a lot of money. It just makes me worry. Or I'll hear things like, here's what really gets confusing. When you work in an economy in a church that is so... Folks are so based in, in the price of oil, but you're not. And so, so it's kind of funny, like the price of oil goes way up, and I go, oh, that's great for people, and that's great for the church. And I go, oh, wait a minute, that means I want to pay more at the pump. And then the price goes down, and I go, oh, that's really good. And I go, oh, no, that's really bad, in normally in normal economy, right? Oh, that's good, that's bad. And so do you know what that creates? Somebody who worries all the time about everything, because whatever the situation is, there's a reason to worry. Oh, I feel really good today. I wonder why I feel good today. There must be some mystery illness going on inside me, right? We worry about everything all the time. And I try not to be that way. What I want to do is focus on God and give more of it to God. Part of worry is just being human. You understand that, right? The Apostle Paul talked about all the things that he had dealt with. He had been beaten, he had been tortured, he had been shipwrecked. And at the end of that list, he says, and what he had was the daily concern for the churches. Part of that is just we are going to be concerned, or if we want to call it worry, whatever word you want to put there, part of that's going to be that way. Even Jesus himself, who did not sin, you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat like drops of blood that he knew what was coming in front of him. There is a stress that comes on us when we live in this world. But I do not need to worry about if God is going to be faithful. God is going to be faithful. And when we can get to that point of where we say, God, no matter what comes, if this be my last day, if this be my last hour, but God, I will be faithful to you because I know it's the right plan and it's the right thing, I will be faithful to you, something changes. When that happens, I can face whatever's in front of me. Like that old song, I can face tomorrow because I've got that settled, the relationship that I have with God. I've got that settled, that God is, is the one in control, that God is the one, it's his kingdom, not my kingdom. 
then all at once I can deal with whatever this flutter is down here. I can handle this. So how do I cope with difficult things? I think this is an important thing for me to talk about just a little bit because all you, most of you have probably seen the studies too. This is not just an American issue, but this is a worldwide issue that the stress level and the worry level has never been higher than it's been in the last two or three years. That people are stressed out. They are worried out. And so as Christians especially, we need to think about how can we cope with these types of things? What can we do? This is not an overwhelming list. This is just a few things. And it comes right out of Scripture in 1 Peter, First Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. When the apostle says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Now, this is not on your screen, but I want to explain it, explain it just very easily. It's easy to dissect here. The first thing I've got to do is humble myself and say, I'm not in control. I humble myself in front of God. It is God that is in control. I give it to God. I'm under God's mighty hand. And I also give it to God and say that, that I trust him and it's on his timetable, not on my timetable, but in his, <coughs> excuse me, that he may lift me up in due time. Now, I think it's time now, but he says not yet. It's hard for me to get that, except when I start thinking about a two-year-old and a two-year-old saying, you know, is it time, is it time, right? Or my dog, who does the same thing. Come on, it's time to go for a walk. It's time to go for a walk. He doesn't do that anymore. Now I say that to him. He's old. But that's the way it is. In due time, God will lift us up. Now here's the other thing. Cast all your anxiety on him. I've got to give it to him, and then I've got to remember that God cares for me. Understand what I'm saying? God is not evil. God is not trying to just play with me and thump me on top of the head. God is not trying to make my life difficult. God is not trying to give me a bunch of rules in order to make it hard to live. God loves me and cares for me. If I can just keep that little bit out of these two verses together, I tell you, I can cope with my problems and with my worries in a much better way than I can when, when those things aren't going on. Now, over the last few months, in Sunday morning, Sunday night, I've used this next passage a little bit because it's so powerful for times like this. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all your understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I want you to see, first of all, he says you've got to be praying about these things. It's important to be praying. Whether you have a big vocabulary for prayer or not, Lord, help me. That may be all you need. Lord, help me. But then what he says here about the things to think about. One of the things that God has given us is he has given us the power to control our thoughts. We have to move into a place to think good things. Think about what is lovely. Think about what is pure. Think about what is good rather than thinking about what is bad. 
Sometimes we turn on TV, sometimes it's the news, and sometimes it's documentaries or whatever, and we can get ourselves into this thing that all we do is think about negative things. And God says, you think about what is pure and lovely and good and wholesome. You think about that, and your life will be better than those that only think about the negative. Think in a good way. Sometimes it's easy at night, isn't it, to think about scary things and bad things and I realize we've got to deal with issues in our lives I realize that's part of it but it's easy to kind of scare ourselves think about things that are good and I've shared this with you many times before but sometimes I literally it is as simple as Lord thank you for this mattress and thank you for the ceiling fan or that air conditioner I've talked about that recently because we're in August right and it's hot Thank you for those things. If you say, I don't even have an air conditioner. But you come here one hour a week. You have air conditioning for one hour a week to be thankful for. We all have things to be thankful for. I think about what is good and wholesome and lovely and recognize that those things come from God. And I have got to give it all to God and let him keep it. Sometimes what I do is I give it to God and then I take it back. Here, God, I want to pray about these things, and now I'm worried afterwards because I just gave it to him, but now I said, give it back to me because I want to, I want to stress over it. But I've got to give it to him and let him take it and deal with it. Think about the good that God has done around me. And as we said last week, let's remember the eternal over the temporal. Oh, it's so hard sometimes because I'm living in the moment when God says you're just in a moment that's in a big picture in a long line and I want to think everything is about now and it's not about now remember the eternal over the temporal and remember even if it is what we would declare is bad news or 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 a bad incident or whatever it may be that God is to be praised over all in all situations I may say, Lord, I don't understand this. This doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me, but, but after all, I'm not God. And so therefore, I praise you even in this, that may this somehow be something that glorifies you and honors you. May it be something that I grow in or others around me grow in. May you be praised even in what seems awful. May God get the glory in all of those things. Now, I want to tell you a story today as we end about a man by the name of John Howland. And some of you may even know who this man is. He was on the Mayflower. He was one of the first folks to come over. He was an indentured servant. He worked for a family, the Carver family. Mr. Carver became the governor of Plymouth after they got there, or the mayor, whatever they might call them. It's hard to be the governor over one little place, right? So he becomes the, the mayor or the governor, Mr. Carver does, that, that Howland is indebted to. But somewhere along the way, if you have seen the Mayflower model, the one that they've rebuilt, it was a tiny ship for all those people to be on. And you know people died on the way. But at one point, Howland here falls off the ship in the middle of a storm. And they are scared to death. You can imagine what that must have, must have been like. And, and the, the sail, the, the wood part of the sail went out that the sail connects to, went out over the sides of the ship. And while he's going under and the ship is tossing back and forth, somehow he grabs on to that, to that wood, to that part of the, the halyard, that part of the sail. And he holds on for dear life. 
And I don't know what all it took as they brought him in, but finally they get him back into the boat. This is all in the book that William Bradford wrote about the pilgrims and, and his experience, his eye, eyewitness experience on the ship. But they get Howland back into the boat. Well, Howland gets off, and there's incidentally another family of, of, of uh, pilgrims, the Tillies. But the Tillies die in the first winter, man and woman, and they have a daughter. She's now left, a teenager, all by herself in this new world. The Carvers live through the first year, and then they die. Well, the only person they have around them is Howland, and what's believed is that Howland inherited their entire estate. And he married that girl, Elizabeth Tilly, and she had her family's entire estate. They became very wealthy people in the New World. And they had lots and lots of children. Well, years later, Howland did some, some important, significant things in his life. But now as you see his descendants that go down through all the years, there are people like in actors, like some of you will know, Humphrey Bogart is a descendant of Howland. The Baldwin brothers are descendants of Howland. Anthony Perkins is a descendant of Howland. Lots of people are. In politics, the Roosevelts were descendants of Howland. The Bush family were descendants of Howland. And so am I. I'm now related to the Bushes, just want you to know that. <laughs> but so am I. So as I read that account, it was fun reading it and finding it all out. I just wish I would have known it back when we were in Plymouth a year ago and, and could have seen his, his uh, son's house that's still there. But reading it was all interesting, and so I called both of our daughters, Emma and Annabeth, told them about it, kind of told them about it in a silly way, but I said, you know what? If he wouldn't have hung on, you wouldn't be here today. And you realize if John Howland wouldn't have hung on to, that, to the Mayflower, I wouldn't be preaching today. Some of you would say amen. But I wouldn't be here today if he hadn't have hung on. Which really raises a good question for all of us. Will I hang on? Who is it that I need to hang on for? Some of us, we're probably going through, we probably have a lot of stress in our lives, and some of us, our faith is just barely there. And we're holding on in the middle of the storm. Hold on. Do not lose your salvation. Do not give in. Do not give up. Hold on. Maybe this morning you need prayers because you need help holding on. You can come forward or write to us at elders at mcoc.org. Or you can be baptized into Christ. And you will be a part of that family where sins are forgiven and where the gift of the Holy Spirit is and where you are in that kingdom where their promises are so overwhelming. Come this morning as we stand and sing.